Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets to great storytelling. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been working with the creative writing students at Elizabethton High School here in Eastern Tennessee. They worked on some stories with the only prompt being Earth Day. You'll hear some dystopian stories, some fable-type stories, and even some horrifying stories. So just a note for listener discretion as we move forward that some of the stories do have a little bit of graphic violence within them. So, in honor of Earth Day, in honor of the students in the creative writing class at Elizabethton High School, here are the stories of the students, read for you by the students themselves. This is the first of two special episodes of Stories from Tennessee. So here's our first student and our very first story. Uh, I'm Natalie Blankenship, and my story is about a girl living in a dystopian situation, and you find out that she is all alone, and hopefully you will find out what has happened to her and why she's living all by herself. I could see the sun just peeking over the bare branches as they fell into the open window. In the breeze, I could almost hear my mom quietly whisper, good morning to me. I stretch my arms and legs out to feel my bones crack and pop. I roll over onto my side, only to feel the scratchy blanket against my sticky skin. The blanket was made of old t-shirts stitched together with thread from mom's sewing kit. I threw the blanket over my shoulder to reveal my bare body. No one was around, so I slept naked, I thought. My feet, caked in dirt, were cracked open from the lack of moisture in my skin. The cracks ran through my feet with pulsing flesh squeezing through them. The cracks almost pulled my tightly woven skin further apart. I placed my feet one by one on the oak floors. Dust swirled around me as I bent down to grasp my clothes from yesterday. Again, I wore torn black athletic shorts and a dull pink tank top. The dust covered the neon color. I could see the outline of my protruding ribs through the tank top. My My damp skin looked splotchy, some parts tan, some parts gray and dusty. I leaned against the cracked doorframe so that I could see down my hallway. I closed my eyes and let my mind slip away. I saw my parents sitting on the couch holding each other. I heard my mom's giggle and my dad's loud sneeze echo down the hallway. I smiled from cheek to cheek. I was so happy. I felt my mind slowly drift back into reality. I slowly opened my eyes and my smile faded into a frown. All I could hear was my own heartbeat. I stared forward into the room that used to remind me of family, but now I see an empty room coated in dust. The emptiness felt as if it could swallow me whole. I felt my stomach and heard a low grumble. It had been three days since I had eaten anything. I got up from my spot on the floor and tiptoed down the hall into the kitchen. I shut my eyes and I could almost smell fresh baked cookies and feel the warm steam from the oven surrounding me. I almost thought I could hear my mom yell, Isabella, do not touch that hot pan. I could never wait long enough 
for those cookies to cool off before I shoved one of those ooey gooey discs into my mouth. I opened my eyes and my stomach was even louder. I opened the cabinets to see what was left. The back of the shelves had a layer of dust almost an inch thick. I had reached the last of my supply. With only sunlight to see, I blindly grabbed two cans. Canned tuna and peaches were what I was going to have. I grasped the cement countertop with my grimy fingers. I placed one foot on the countertop before I jumped off of the floor. I sat in front of the huge bay window and ate my first meal in three days. I used the lid of the can to shovel the tuna into my mouth. The juicy meat melted over my tongue and the fishy flavor saturated my taste buds. The sweetened peaches and juice erased the fishy flavor from my mouth. I peered out the huge window and saw two mounds of dirt. Hey mom, hey dad, I thought. They had both died about five months ago after the war had ended. I closed my eyes again and reluctantly slipped away into memory. It was very early in the morning. The moon still glowed. Knock, knock, knock. There were three solid knocks. Someone else will get it, I thought, and I rolled back over in bed. That's when I heard a loud crash, and I heard lots of yelling. Two voices were really deep, and the other two were my mom and dad's voices. I tiptoed from my bedroom to lean against the door frame. I watched as a man reached his arm out towards one of my parents. His arm had a patch on it that resembled a fire. Mom and dad had patches of the earth they always wore. A scream. Who was it? I heard a loud thud, one too loud to be my mom. My mom cried out and screamed, please, my little girl is asleep right there. She'll wake up and be all alone. She pointed at one of the men. We both know this is no world for a girl. The deep voice chuckled, you're right. A bang, then a thud echoed down the hallway. My mom, I thought. The men sprinted out of my house. I ran towards the living room and I saw both of my parents lying there. A pool of crimson cascaded out of their bodies and moistened their hair. I opened my eyes. The sound of the gunshot was still ringing in my ear. I did not like war because in my mind, all it resulted in was death. The war caused my parents' deaths and now, well, I'm all alone. Now my parents, my friends, and people I used to pass on the street had all become mounds of dirt. That's not what the war was supposed to do. No war intended to be a complete disaster on both sides. This war, in fact, was a total disaster. Around seven years ago, about three years after I was born, the protests began. One side wanted to save the planet, and the other did not. Saving the planet meant taking measures like going to all electric cars, leaving less waste, etc. The list could go on and on. The other side, however, thought the measures to save the Earth were quite extreme, and that all would be okay. This all changed when about three weeks into the protest, natural disasters erupted across the globe. Volcanoes destroying cities, melting ice caps flooding Arctic cities, and earthquakes demolishing metropolitan areas. The time had come to make a decision whether or not to save the earth. No important man or woman could make the decision, so the option was left in the hands of those who could fight. That is when the war began. Ever since then, it has not been easy. Being left alone at the age of 10 did not make it any easier. When supplies stopped being delivered to cities, it was up to individuals to ration, to decide how long they could go without food. Before my parents died, they made a stockpile of canned goods. Thankfully, I never had to go into the abandoned grocery store to get rotting cans off of shelves. The store was musty and gave me a really uneasy feeling. I just liked to go in there to explore. I glanced over to the right of the bay window. We had bright white walls in our kitchen that were now tinged gray. Two black wooden frames hung side by side. Below each one was a name plaque. The first one read Miriam Geyser and the other Roscoe Geyser. Those were my parents' names. 
Inside of the frames were the patches I remembered seeing the morning they died. The patches showed the earth colored in vibrant greens and blues. The two questions I asked myself daily were what did this patch mean and why did the people that killed my parents have a fire patch on? Obviously, they had something against my parents, and it had to be something pretty serious for them to come and kill them both. I went over to the bookshelf I passed almost daily. This shelf did not have dust on it because I read hours each day. I did the same thing I had done the past five months. I filed over each individual book and read their creased spines. I wondered if the answer had been right in front of me this whole time. The wheels started turning in my brain. I saw a green spine of a book. I had seen it every other day that I had looked at all the books. But today, I noticed the front of it was not USSS. Well, it said that, and I thought this whole time it had meant like a book for social security services or something adult like that. But this time, I opened the book up for the first time ever, and on the inside of the book was written United States Sanctuary Services. I had never bothered to look inside of a boring book. I guess I shouldn't have judged a book by its cover. The first page had two people on it, the president and the vice president. The president was Miriam Geyser, and the vice president was, was Roscoe Geyser. My parents were leading one side of the war. Geez, Mom and Dad, I didn't know you were that cool. The deep voices must have been working for the head of the people who didn't believe in saving the planet. I guess the head of the other side thought it would be easier to cut the head off the worm. He or she must not read as much as I do, because if they did, they would know that the head always grows back. The jacket I wore now had the earth sewn directly in front of my heart. The head was coming back even stronger. My name is Olivia Smith, and the title of my story is called The Cavern of Misery. The vast wasteland of beige sand seemed to fold over on itself as I treaded on into the continuous stretch of the desert. For miles, all that appeared was an endless abyss of dry earth. The hiking boots I wore felt healthier with each step as a thick coating of dust adorned their soles. It had been a long journey. The canteen that was latched onto the side of my pack had been drained of all relief. The empty can that rattled with each step was a constant reminder of my blissful ignorance. However, as I squinted ahead, the faint outline of my destination came into view. The illumination of hope burning into my spirit as the twisted feeling of anxiety faded away into the footsteps I had left behind on the desert floor. As my feet picked up their pace, I recognized the image of familiarity. A golden cave crested with dry sand was mounted in the middle of nothingness. Rigid rock captured the curve of the formation with the transparent dimension of a half circle insinuating its structure. In awe, I gazed into the image that was painted in front of me. I had awaited this moment my entire life. Since I was a boy, I had wanted to explore this unknown region. Working thoughtfully and consistently, my passion for this exploration had grown so immense that I was willing to do anything to get a glimpse of the cave's mystery. It was uncharted territory, an adventure that called only my name. The sleepless nights that were filled with self-sabotage and mapping out coordinates would finally pay off. My dreams had surrounded this magical place. This was the only enchanted vision I had wanted to experience before my lifetime ended. It was simply the only thing that mattered. As I peered into its void, natural formations of limestone pillars carried the weight of the cave's beauty. The ethereal experience of smelling the silica laced into the ground below made me inhale deeply, savoring the essence of natural minerals in my lungs. Planting a wooden marker into the soft sand, I straightened my shoulders and grin grinned smugly. Thank you, I sighed out loud. There was a small tremor of emotion in my voice as I spoke. My eyes closed with thankfulness as the sun danced across my skin. I basked my face in its warmth, absorbing the burning rays. 
I dreamed that my words touched the universe in some way. However, my gratefulness went unnoticed by the wind as it continued to harshly blow sand at a rapid pace. As I entered the cave, the sight of cracked rock lined the floor below. Entryways and tunnels surrounded the open area of the entrance, urging someone to travel their way through the secret passageways. The structures weren't man-made formation, but a mystery of nature that had evolved over time. Yet, when I moved towards the tunnel on the farther right, my legs slipped out from under me. The rapid feeling of falling consumed my body as I tried to grasp on to any leverage that I could use to my advantage. My hands clasped onto soft green leaves that had been covered by the sand only moments before. Now this, this was man-made, a trap of sorts. Think clearly, I reminded myself. It was the only way to save myself. Yet, as I licked my lips, there was no moisture from lack of hydration, and the muscles in my arms slowly began to loosen their slack. I could only hear my grunts of effort before I was falling. The canyon of darkness filled my vision as I gave into the feeling of defeat. Before I could hit the ground of the pit, I lost consciousness. Um, a shimmery light glowed from above. It was a warm comfort. However, when I tried to peel open my eyes to adjust to the beauty of the sparking illumination, they would not comply. Instead, I heard soft whispering from aloft. My nose twitched in confusion as I felt my surroundings. A pit of circular sandstone surrounded me, entrapping my arms to remain by my side. The breath in my throat constricted as panic washed over me. Please, I yelled, begging for help. Silence followed my plea for several seconds as I waited for a hand to reach out for me, to help me. An elegant song cut me from my thoughts, forcing my muscles to tighten up in fear. Regardless, the song that sang was entrancing and just simply elegant. It was as if warm honey was being poured from the pitch that rang in the air, allowing me to relax as a sultry sound engulfed me. A warm substance dripped down from the crown of my head. I assumed from its thickness that it was fresh blood. Nevertheless, that aspect didn't stop me from soaking into the song from above. I could finally open my eyes as I peered upwards. The scent of salt water filled my nostrils as I looked for the singing figure. I could not think rationally or try to figure out an escape plan. All I could do was anticipate the next note of the alluring tune. The sight of green, oval-shaped scales captured my attention as the singing stopped abruptly. The rough surface of the scales sparkled in the light as I stared in awe. A stunning shade of olive green enticed me to smile in bliss. Then there were eyes. Fully darkened, dimly lit irises of pure black ink peered down into mine as the figure sat on the edge of the cliff rock. I could not look away as the color of midnight whispered a thousand secrets to me. A slender nose, the shade of charcoal, charcoal and round lips, a soft indigo color, adorned the face as well, but the eyes of pure darkness was the only feature I settled on. Pools of tears pricked my eyes as I stared at the beauty presented in front of me. Wet droplets trickled down from my jawline as my mouth remained open. I believe I heard another faint giggle come from her lips, but I cannot be sure. I am keeper of dreams, she sang, her voice smooth. I could only nod. My brain fell as if I had melted into my heart. I selfishly leaned into thanking with my soul as lust drew me in. Her patient expression grew grim as I stared. Do you believe you are worthy of this realm, she demanded, but the softness laced into her voice made my demeanor remain unafraid. I yearned to hear her voice again. No, I whispered, still entranced in a gaze. She was ethereal, too perfect for humankind. I did not belong here, but I wanted to. I only hope she would sing again so I can feel fulfillment once more. You are correct. You do not, she replied, now smiling with her teeth, which were pointed with razor-like edges. It only made me gaze at her more intensely. You do not belong in the realm of death, she added. Her eyebrows raised a bit as she pursed her lips, almost like she was wanting me to catch on to something significant. You do not belong in the realm of death, she repeated. My brows were furrowed in confusion as I tried to take in her words. 
Then the song began once more, allowing me to close my eyes in its essence. This time, the song captured the weight of the universe. The emotion that hid behind each vowel made me sniffle in blissfulness. When the song stopped, I snapped open my eyes in desperation. I hoped to see those black irises of night engulf me once again. In spite of my want, my eyes focused on the sapphire blue sky. My limbs were numb but heavy as I lifted myself up. Bewildered, I took in my surroundings as I stood. I was met with the vast desert. The sand was completely absent from caves or any kind of formation. The wooden marker I had left was still standing in its place as the empty canteen lay beside it, almost mocking me. I felt as if ice water had been poured onto me despite the heat. The feeling of anguish overpowered me as I screamed out in emotional torment, dropping to my knees. My throat burned as I yelled, but I did not let up on the sound of my sorrowful expression of torture. The desert didn't reply, but simply just listened. Ella Glass, senior high school, reading Caverns. There's a reason people go missing in the caves of Appalachia. I've been an avid caver since I was 14, and at the time I was considered an at-risk youth due to my various drug addictions. So they sent me to a detox center in the mountains. I thought it was stupid at first. I couldn't wait to get out of that dump. But then they took us to the cave. I remember thinking it was so amazing to see the dark formations hidden deep in the earth. The beauty of the impurities in the rock that had been there for thousands of years and would remain for thousands more. I was hooked. I knew it's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So when I was 25, me and a few buddies started our own caving business. Brandon and Mitch had been in the detox program with me, and we stayed close after it was over. We supported each other through our rough patches and our relapses. Brandon even moved in with me. We had a few different caves on our roster, of varying difficulty for different levels of experience. Business had been steady, but we needed something new to draw in customers. So we started searching for new caves that we would debut next season. All right, guys, this one's perfect, Brandon said with an excited smile. He had been the most excited for the new addition and had found several other perfect caves that had all been a bust for one reason or another. All right, what's wrong with this one then? Is it overpolluted? Private property? Half full of water? Mitch probed with a little more th with more than a little doubt creeping into his voice. Shut up, Mitch. I found it on my last big hike through the mountain. It's just past the Crooked Back Trail, and it looks like it's almost a straight drop in. I tried to find it on any maps, and it seems like it's undiscovered. Whoa, whoa, hold on, I, I interrupted. If it's undiscovered, shouldn't we report it before we go? Ah, uh, come on, Skye. Let's just check it out now and report it later. Fine. Let's just check it out as quickly as possible. We loaded up our gear and checked our ropes and harnesses. We got into my beat-up old Chevy and headed towards Crooked Back Trail. The laurels waved to us in the breeze as we hiked up to where Brandon had seen the cave, and a feeling of peace washed over me in the welcoming woods of the mountain. This peace was soon interrupted, however, as we turned off the trail following Brandon to his discovery. The moment I stepped off the trail, the forest fell silent. The sound of birds and cicadas in the trees was quieted, as if someone had simply turned them off. Guys, do you see it? Brandon asked excitedly, apparently not noticing the lack of ambience. There it is, isn't she beautiful? The mouth of the cave was about 25 feet wide, but the strangest thing was the way the trees seemed to curve inwards towards the gaping hole, as if reality itself was bending around it. 
Brandon, I'm not so sure about this cave. Something feels off, Mitch chimed in. Yeah, this place gives me bad vibes. Let's just leave this one be. No, guys, it'll be perfect. It's not like any other cave. There could be something really cool down there. I thought it over for a minute, and we decided to give it a shot. But if anything happened, we would turn back. We rigged up our gear and started to rappel down. We hadn't seen the walls before we started down. But during our descent, we saw what looked like drawings on the cave walls. They seemed to be at least 200 years old, and we had guessed that the cave had been a mine in the Civil War. The chamber was much deeper than we originally thought, however, and I ran out of rope about 10 feet between me and the cave floor. I had to drop. I hit the rocks with a dull thud, and I immediately felt two overwhelming sensations. The sharp, searing pain in my ankle, and the cold, heavy dread deep in my gut. Crap, I cursed, and held my newly injured foot. Brandon and Mitch ran over to me, trying to help. Dude, are you all right? I think I'll be all right. Just go on and find another way out of here. I can't get back without my rope. All right, man, we'll be back. They left me there on the floor, but after a while, I began to worry. I reached for Mitch's bag, which he had left for me. I rummaged around in it for a flashlight. I found it along with a bottle of painkillers. I knew he wasn't supposed to have those, yet at the time I was thankful to have them. I took a few from my ankle and I steeled myself. I carefully stood up on my shaky legs and started down the cave. Mitch? Brandon? Guys, if this is a joke, you two have sick minds. I called out with no answer. The only sound in the dark cavern, other than my uneven footsteps, was the sound of stalactites dripping. I ran my hand along the cave walls to steady, but when I pulled my hand away, there was a black substance on my hand and felt like wet chalk. I looked at the wall and found more unintelligible writing in another drawing, an eye. It looked like it was drawn with charcoal and had what seemed to be tentacles reaching out and grabbing people. I figured it must have been from the cave was in mine, and I disregarded it. It had to be at least 45 minutes to send before I reached another large chamber that had freezing water going up to my knees. I could hear a breeze coming from somewhere deeper in the cavern, but it was oddly rhythmic, almost like the cave was breathing. Just as I took a step forward, I felt something touch my leg. Before I could react, a vine-like appendage had snatched my leg and hoisted me into the air. Hey, what's going on here? I screamed. Silence. The voice cut through the sound of my panic like a knife. It was a deafening sound, yet I heard no echo off the cave walls. I saw, the wa I saw in the water a glow, a sickly yellow in a pattern like roots as they all connected to one central mass, an eye. One massive eye with those yellow roots wrapped around it, forming what I could scarcely call a body, but more of a vessel for the eye to sit in. The eye itself was magnificent. The iris had to have been at least 25 feet in diameter, and its colors were indescribable. Vibrant, shifting hues that I'd never seen before and could barely comprehend while looking directly at them. What, what are you? I am eternal, more than you could ever understand, flesh. The being spoke again, and in the glow of its light, I could see that it had no mouth to speak with. I had to have been hearing the voice in my mind. Where are my friends? They've been sent to the beyond. What do you want from me? To suffer. 
Suffer for all that your kind has inflicted upon my being with your polluting and filth. What do you mean, your being? Just as I had asked, my entire body felt as though it had been set ablaze as I screamed in a way I never knew I could. My being is the forest and the mountain your kind continues to destroy, and now you shall feel our pain for eternity. I was beyond terrified. I never wanted to feel that kind of searing pain again, but I remembered I was still wearing my pack as another wave of pain left my body screaming. I reached for my pack and pulled out my flare gun with a shaky hand. You wanna see pain? Try this. I whispered through clenched teeth as I fired a flare directly into the beast's people. It dropped me and I landed hard on the water as a shriek filled my ears. I ran, I half ran, half limped to the cave entrance and painstakingly hoisted myself back up to the massive hole. I stumbled back to my truck through the woods and sped off. It's been a few weeks since then. I haven't seen Brandon or Mitch since, but I can't ignore the voice that calls me to go back to the cavern much longer. I'm being watched at all times. I can feel it, especially when I'm in the forest. I know I'll go back. I have to. And I know that when I do, I'll see my friends again. Stay away from the caves of Appalachia. You don't know what resides in their depths. All right, my name is Riley Rubel, and I'm a junior, and my story is heading east. The shining star smiled down on me as I cowered behind the rusted dumpster, the light lighting the damp area with just enough light to barely see my hands. The sound of rushed feet hitting the sidewalk knocked me out of my concentration as a girl came running down. Scurrying closer to the dumpster, the aroma of soured milk and rotting trash swirled and burned my nose hairs. The young girl paused about 15 yards from where I lay hidden, tying her neon green shoes that matched her athletic wear. In an attempt to stay concealed, I held my breath for what felt like forever. She stood up, adjusted her messy ponytail as she stretched a little, and continued her run. I quickly finished dumping the cut-up body into the dumpster and made my way onto the sidewalk. As her body swayed from side to side in the distance, I decided she must be my next victim. Days passed since I had seen the girl, and frankly I wasn't too sure on how I would ever be able to find her again. All I knew was that I must add her to my collection. Walking into the classroom Monday morning, I could not remember what had ever sparked me to be a professor teaching environmental science. As I took my usual spot in the front of the large, bright room, I sipped the scalding black coffee as I watched the room fill up. The beginning of a fresh semester always brought a wide array of differing students, but only one had captured my attention. As the girl from the other night sauntered down the stairs to the front of the room, I could not believe the odds. I have never been a man who believed in fate or destiny, but all signs led to this one idea. How else would my beautiful girl be here when I have spent the last few days striving to find her? Good morning, Professor Edwards. Her smile was as vibrant as her unnaturally bright red hair. As she reached her hand out to shake mine, the shock of seeing her clouded my mind as I forgot about the scalding coffee I had been sipping on. Our hands smacked into each other and a loud shriek emitted from her parted lips as the liquid coated her hands. I am so sorry, miss. I don't know what has ever came over me to be so foolish. I trailed off into another line of thought as I scrambled to grab tissues off my desk. Wrapping the cloth around her hands, a string of apologies fell out of my mouth. She gently stared at me, dumbfounded, as she slowly took her hand back. No, it's okay. Things happen sometimes. My name is Emily Rogers, and I still look forward to your class. She paused for a moment to think. Her murky brown eyes stared back into my own, and in that moment, I wanted nothing more than to fill her eyes. Even if you did burn me. She smiled a genuine smile as she shook her hand in the air, presumably in an effort to distract from the pain of a third-degree burn. I would promise not to burn you again, but only time will tell. I let out a small, anxious chuckle as she nodded a knowing nod. With that, she turned around and took her seat. 
The lecture felt like it would last forever with the mandatory time frame. Standing in front of everyone, she was my only thought as I jumbled my words into incoherent strings of sentences. At last, with only 30 minutes left, I decided to end class early. Bidding the students goodbye, I headed straight for the main office with a clouded mind. Good morning, Miss Edna. It's always a pleasure to see you in here, I shouted to the elderly lady sitting behind the desk. The sound of the vent blasting above combined with her loss of hearing made it feel like I had to scream to be understood. Mr. Edwards, what a fancy it is to see you here. You know you're always welcome in my office. She smirked as her red lipstick grazed her teeth. Seventeen years I've taught at Manderton College, and she still had the same flair as when I met her all those years ago. Now, now, you know that's not why I'm here. I'm actually wanting to send a letter to a new student of mine, Emily Rogers, and I was hoping to receive her address. I know you have that access. I tussled my hair and relaxed my shoulders. Please, as a favor for an old pal, won't you? Now, no one has to know you gave it to me. You know, I shouldn't, Miss Edna whispered as she lowered her head. Contrastingly, she started typing away on her keyboard. A few moments passed as she scribbled on a sticky note and slid it across the oak desk. As she rolled her chair back to mess with an ever-growing stack of papers, her back towards me, I grabbed the small vase of flowers and slid behind her. My towering shadow above the frail lady cloaked her body as I raised the vase high above. With a loud crack, the vase slammed into Miss Edna's head, her body instantly falling limp in her chair. She looked so peaceful and the most beautiful laying like this, I couldn't help myself. Climbing on top of the desk, I began trying to unscrew the vent. At last, I managed to hoist her body into the vent and seal it back up. The once loud air vent was now silenced. I was doing the whole room a favor. I had spent the last six hours sitting outside of Emily's house waiting for her appearance, but she never showed. I was growing antsy in my small beetle, and my legs had long since grown numb. Scanning the neat yard, complete with a varying array of tulips in the flower bed and garden gnomes, I decided to venture across the street onto her porch. Ringing, ringing the ornate doorbell, the only sound emitted came from what sounded like a small dog. I listened for the telltale signs of footsteps growing closer, but none came, so I tried the door handle. The, the handle rattling and staying in place revealed I would have to be crafty to come inside. I felt something tickle at my ankle, and upon looking down, I saw a small brown dog sniffing at my pant leg. The dog's head was all that could be seen out of the doggy door. I reached down to pet the little guy, but he instinctively retreated into his asylum. The dog door looked to be about the width of someone's shoulders, and suddenly I found my way inside. As I began to cram myself sideways, the dog drowned me in slobber before spinning in circles with the classic zoomies. Swatting the dog away only induced more slobbery attacks, and after what felt like drowning in a small pool, I finally shuffled my way through the door. The front room blinded me as I stood up, and I felt dizzy from the blood rushing to my head. The house on the outside was decorated with a gentle, neat hand. However, the inside looked as if a tornado had sprinted through with its arms pressed against the walls. Stumbling around, I noticed all the pictures on the wall. The family in the picture frame lay sideways, the couch angled in a way that could never see the TV, and the carpet such a vibrant orange I could never imagine a place where it, where it would match the rest of the furniture. Walking through the living room, I found the kitchen and a stairway leading onto the second floor. The kitchen, while much neater than the first room, still presented itself in a chaotic mess. Dirty plates and knobs lay scattered across the counter, while bowls littered the sinks and half-rotten oranges became one with the table. Climbing up the stairwell, I let my hands trail the wooden banister. At the top of the door, there was a door decorated with stickers for me to enter. Pushing the door aside, the lamp on her table cast shadows all over her room. With only half of the room lit up, you could see a vast difference. Everything looked as if it was in its rightful spot, if such a thing was ever possible to assume about a stranger's house. I retraced my footsteps back down the staircase, through the kitchen and living room, and down into a small basement. The basement was mostly finished, the tile flooring and insulation along the walls surrounded small bits of furniture here and there. Exiting through the basement door, I made sure to leave it unlocked for later. Back inside my car, music blasted as I drove to my own home. With all the excitement about Emily, I forgot to tell Mother about my new advancement. I pressed the gas harder as I made my way to the apartment. Mother, I'm home, I shouted as I slammed the door shut. In the living room sat my mother. 
She looked as beautiful as, as the day we buried her. 47 years with my beloved mother simply was not enough. Two weeks, after her bur- two weeks after her funeral, I went back and drug her body out of the cold earth. She needed my warm embrace, and I'll never leave her again. She stared back at me with an empty expression, her rotting jaw hanging loosely without her tongue. Mother, I found the woman I love. I met her while she was on a run a few weeks ago. And get this, she's one of my students. I was nearly shouting with excitement as I took my mother's hand into my own. She only continued to stare ahead. Mother, may I have your ring, please? I would like to propose to Emily, please. I stared at her with wide eyes as I awaited her response. She only continued to stare ahead. If all you want to do is stare, then I'll take that away from you. You will regret this, Mother. Storming off into the adjacent office room, I grabbed the black stapler off the desk and made my way back to the room where she sat on the recliner, forever staring forward. I snapped her head back as I stood above her, her hands, my hands digging into rotting flesh that tried to, tried to move like a bedsheet that was clinging on for dear life. I clamped her eyelids shut, slammed the ring off of her finger, and stood back to admire my work. She looked so sad with her jaw hanging and eyes shut. I dropped to my knees, sobbing as I realized I've hurt my mother. Apology after apology fell from my lips as I clung to her leg like a scared child. Hours passed before I moved from her comfort. Once I calmed down, I gave my mother a kiss on the cheek and apologized once more before heading back into the office. The room was littered with all sorts of craft applause. The moon shining overhead was the only thing revealing the hours that had passed. I gently placed my mother's ring deep into the pockets as I made my way back to the car. All was silent in the world. The street lamps buzzed ahead but offered little light. I decided I would love to have Mother meet Emily. Carefully wrapping her in a blanket, I whispered short apologies as I stuffed her in the back of the car as I made my way back to Emily's house. I parked my car at the opposite end of the street as I made my way to Emily's house. Her front porch light was off, but every light inside appeared to be on. I could see it silhouette in the kitchen moving around before heading towards what I assumed was the staircase. The light flickered off and the shadows were gone. I carried my mother into the basement, thankful for her petite stature and for remembering to leave the door unlocked. Setting her down on the basement couch, I made my way into the kitchen. The room was vastly different from how I remembered it this evening. All of the plates were neatly stacked and the rotting fruit replaced with something fresh. I grabbed a clean knife and made my way to the stairs. Dragging the tip of the knife against the banister, I couldn't help but imagine how good it would feel to drag this knife against her bare skin. Reaching the landing, the small dog found its way to me. The friendly dog I'd once known quickly changed and immediately began barking. Gandalf, quit that barking and come back in here. It's time for bed, Emily shouted from the next room. The sound of her voice sent shivers down my spine and the urge to feel her skin grew more and more. The dog continued barking. The rage built up inside me. I could not let this dog ruin my surprise. I swung the knife at the dog, making contact with the fuzzy chest. A loud yelp filled the air as the dog slumped. I drew the blade into his head as the blood pulled around. Funny how he's the one drowning instead. The bedroom door creaked open and light began to spill out. As soon as her eyes met mine, the shiver in my spine felt more like a baby's rattle shaking inside me, little beads hitting my insides and stirring everything around. Professor Edwards, what are you doing in my house? Her surprised voice trailed off as she looked at her limp dog. What did you do to Gandalf? Her voice broke off into a high-pitched scream as she jumped towards her dead dog. I did you a favor. Now, it's not too loud, just like I did for Miss Edna in her office. But never mind that. Won't you come here for a second? I have a surprise for you. I smiled at her and offered my hand, but she looked repulsed. How did you even find me? Why are you here? I'm calling the cops. She wiped the tears from her eyes and replaced them with a menacing glare as she slowly stood up. She started backing away from me. Emily, there's no reason to be fearful. Please come here, darling. I have a surprise. I leapt up and reached for her hand. She tried to release my grip but failed. As she realized she was trapped, she slowly stopped struggling and stood at arm's length. That's more like it, Emily. I softly whispered as her bottom lip continued to quiver. Feeling her soft skin sent that shiver down my spine once more, and I almost rushed my careful process. Ever since I met you while you were on your run, I knew you were the one, Emily. I've asked my mother for a ring. 
With her back towards the landing on the stairs, she looked at me helplessly with an edge of desperation. Please, Emily, take my mother's ring and we can be happy. I was inches from her face as I held her hands. I don't know you. Please just stop and let me go. I will never marry you. She broke into more sobs and went back to trying to pull away. So be it. With a hint of finality in my voice, I placed my hands on her chest and shoved. Her tears shifted to screams of terror as she grabbed at the air, but the air was just as displeased with her as I was and offered no help. Her body tumbled down the staircase, smacking against each step and banging it against the wall. Once she hit the ground, everything in the house was silent except for my hard breathing. She laid motionless as I made my way down to her. Grabbing a fistful of her hair, I yanked her back up to look at me. You'll regret this, I screamed. I took my already bloody knife and sliced her neck open like a Pez dispenser. Blood gushed across my hands like a sticky syrup and coated the ground around us. I dropped her hand with I dropped her head with a thud and reached for her right hand. I took the knife and made a raggedy cut along her ring finger. Maybe she won't marry me, but she will never have the ring of another man. With her ring finger in my pocket, I made my way to the basement to tell my mother of my misfortune. She rejected my love, mother. I don't know what I'll ever do. I softly spoke as I sat crisscross in front of her. A couple moments of silence passed as she continued to face forward. What do I do now, mother? She snapped her head forward, ripping the staples from her eyes as she pointed east and let out a bellowing scream. Suddenly, I knew where my next lover would be. My name is Millie Pierce, and I'm a senior at Elizabethan High School, and my story is called Flower Care. As the morning dew lay on the grass and the sun begins to wake, all of nature awaits. All right, everyone, I feel like it is going to be a hot one. We need to get ready to soak up the nutrients. Patricia the petunia exclaimed with pure excitement as she shook her white fading into deep plum ombre petals. Come on, everyone, in here knows how this day is going to just go. Just like the last and the last, Gerald the geranium retaliated as he stuck his small, bright red petals up in the air, knowing today would be nothing less of another struggle. Gerald, do you think you can make this day any worse? Daisy the poinsettia stated abruptly as she leaned her stem to the left, allowing her red pointy petals to knock Gerald's flower pot further away from her. Another day without any water in this heat. How can anyone make it without nice fresh air and water? Daisy started with a long sigh to follow. I know this sounds crazy, but they cannot just all leave us out here. We are a part of New York's finest. Patricia reassures everyone in the greenhouse that they hold a special place in their caretaker's heart for them to just watch all of their beloved plants die. As soon as, soon as noon was approaching and the sun was beaming in through the greenhouse's window, the flowers all held hope that today would mark a change, a change for the better. Better care, as others might say. As temperatures are increasing and the creatures of nature begin to explore yet again, flowers need tedious care in order to thrive. How is it hard for everyone to realize that with sun, we just need water? We aren't aliens or anything, Daisy the poinsettia said, holding back tears. Without water, no nutrients. No nutrients means death, Daisy continued. Guys, there is still no need to fret. The day is still not over, Petunia said reassuringly. Yeah, you are right. Not just the day. It has been days, Gerald said. Soon the, soon there will, the bees will want nothing to do with this. Therefore, that means bees will not get any pollen. There goes the whole ecosystem, Gerald shrieks out in fright. As long as we have enough built up in our stems and soil to last through the heat, everything in here gets trapped. No human could ever survive in a room with this much heat. 
With too much heat, everyone and everything dies. We can even help oxygen levels. What is not to love about us? Daisy stated as she shook her pointy red petals. I'd like to extend a special thank you to Elizabethton High School, to Mr. Campbell, and to Mrs. Hardin for arranging my author in residence program over the last few weeks. Also, special thanks to the students for the hard work they put together in writing, crafting, and reading their stories. To check out our other episodes of the Story Blender, you can click to thestoryblender.com or go to the Story Blender at anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. We'll have a new episode up every Friday. Tell your stories well, my friends. And always remember, the art of the story is all in the blend. Take care. We'll see you next time.